The views and opinions expressed by the producers, hosts, and guests of Flash Black Radio do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Flash Black or its parent company. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, beautiful people. This is www.flashblackradio.com. I am Da Vinci Parks, aka Leaving the Third, and of course, I'm sitting here. Not necessarily, of course, because you know. Yeah, that would be like not even correct. I'm sitting here with Slim Williams. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. What's up? That's double in the building. <laughs> I am here, like all might. I am here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are sitting here. We're bringing it in. This is Culture Shock on Flash Black Radio. Uh, we're we're doing something a little bit different today. Um, we're doing something different because uh, you know the ladies of the shit you might have missed, uh, usual suspects uh, branding uh, are not here for various reasons, and therefore we needed to do something. We didn't want y'all to go too long without us, with like like you know you know like a fresh show. We didn't want to leave you wanting. We, yeah, we never that. You know what I'm saying? Got to at least give like an audio reach around. So oh, that was my. my <laughs> It's okay, you can laugh. Don't hold it. Don't hold it in. It makes uh, it awkward when you hold it in. Uh, sometimes you like it. It's kind of like when you, you have to when you have to pee real bad. Like you hold it, but then when you go, it feels real good. Okay. It's kind of like that. Okay. All right. Well, it's not good for your bladder. It's this terrible for your bladder. Yeah. It's a bad decision. I'm not saying it's a good decision. Yeah. Okay. As long as, as long as we understand each other. But that's what hedonism is all about. Like you just Holding your pee, you just make good. De- you make bad decisions because it feels good. Now, see, see, like holding your pee is how you get this. Yes, they can't. They can't. See it. <laughs> they, they, you a, can see it though. There's a joke. That's, that, that's that all that matters. I wish you all could see. This you is an, this is an argument for us uh, switching to a video format or including a video format. That's not an argument. It's, it's coming. It's gonna. It's, we got you know, so it's many, coming. so many visual inside jokes. Yeah, it's it's coming. That can become outside jokes. Oh, yeah. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Uh, Show the world my beautiful face. All right, so I guess we could talk about that. So one of the things that we are planning on doing, uh, I guess we could talk about some of the things we got we got coming down the pipe or planning to come down the pipe in uh, 2019. Um, and by the way, Happy New Year. I guess this is the first show in the new year. Mm-hmm. So we should say that today's date is January 8th, 2019. Um, thank you for, again, listening, your listenership. We appreciate it. Telling your friends about us. We appreciate it. I'm slightly, like, you know, under the weather. Not sick, but, you know, I, I, I'm sure y'all can kind of hear it, so I apologize if my voice sounds more terrible than normal. Uh, but uh, some things coming down the pipe. Uh, one of the things is uh, we're going to add a video element component uh, thing, aspect to Flash Black. That's one of the goals I want to do. Um, I would love to bring uh, Shit You Might Have Missed um, in a live format. I think people need that in their lives. Uh, you miss so many shenanigans <laughs> while we're recording. You, you think you, you, you've seen, well, you're hearing like things that are off the chain. If you saw the stuff that happens before and after, you you would be like truly like uh, amazed and astounded. Um, we are way less professional than we sound, which doesn't say much. But uh, <laughs> hush so, your tone, so, sir. So, so there's that. Uh, we are paragons of professionalism. Um, yeah, so the, one of the things that I want to point out there uh, to, uh, to the people who are listening out there is um, it's important that, in my my estimation, I, I believe it's important 
that people um, commandeer their own narrative and they commandeer what they would like to see and hear more of. So one of the things that we've obviously been doing with Flash Black Radio is we've been talking about health and wellness. Uh, we've been talking about social issues. We've been talking about um, um, toxic masculinity. We've been talking about a lot of things. And I think all those things are important and those are discussions that we will continue because I think they're important discussions that need to continue to happen. But there are also other elements. We're not a monolith. Um, I'm pretty sure you could tell by listening to both Slim and myself that we are very much nerds in, in, you know, in, in a few different ways. So um, Slim and I have been throwing around this idea for a minute. We won't give you all the details, um, but we're, we're going to have like a, a more nerdy type uh, a platform or, or brand to uh, roll out this year where it's going to focus on us just being nerds and having fun. And, you know, there will be some comedy element to it, definitely. Uh, but it would just be an opportunity for us uh, to, you know, just act silly, you know. But at the same time, hopefully you guys will enjoy your, yourselves while you listen to us having fun. Uh, that's the point. Um, also, I, I plan on um, bringing on a friend of mine who is a Ph.D. Um, she's uh, already been on the show, Dr. Charlie Brown. Uh, she's already had an interview, so I'm going to have her on the show again and hopefully give her her own uh, platform for her to start doing her thing on here as well. So we have some things that we're trying to line up, man, so you guys will have multiple avenues to uh, to travel once you get to the Flash Black brand. So that's that. So uh, a lot has happened since we stopped recording in 2018. Would you would, would you agree, sir? Oh, yeah. We've survived R. Kelly, um, or have we? Then is a, is the question. Hey, we jump right in. Yeah, yeah. We uh we have a, a a government that if if it's at all possible is in more disarray. Um, you would think uh, every time you think we've reached the pinnacle of uh, of confusion and disarray in our government, we hit we hit a new level. I think yeah. it's actually kind of quieter though than it than it has been. You, you saying the government? Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously it's been shut down, <laughs> but like the actual sound bites coming from the politicians have not been from maybe, maybe I just, maybe I haven't been hearing it for yeah, some reason. But. I mean, 45 is sticking to his guns. He's still being, he's being asinine. He's actually made the statement that uh, people are, uh, people are fine with the shutdown and there. He'll say anything to justify his point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that the, the, the key to his narrative is that he'll he'll say anything, even if it's something that's blatantly untrue. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and and you know what? I, I do wish one day I could be in the room when he has conversations with his advisors. I would like to, you know, know if he just I, right now, I just believe he's just a blatant liar. Right. That's what I believe. But I'm also not privy to the conversations that he has with his advisors. Like what what are they saying to him? Like, is he legitimately like taking a little bit of something that is true and just embellishing it? But I mean Or is he just going is he just like they're telling him stuff and he's like, No, that's not true. He's like, No, it's just a, the people, the folks, and just like making up his own his own thing. I think he's I think honestly that um I think Trump is kinda like and this is gonna sound weird, I'm not trying to put him in the in the same boat as an R. Kelly, but I, like I'm just talking about the, the, the ego that comes along with celebrity 
when it gets outsized. I think it's one of those things like, you know, when you know somebody is not quote unquote right in a number of ways, but mm-hmm. you continue to align and and ally ally yourself with, with these type of individuals for hopes that you can somehow get some type of ancillary benefit or shine or kernels of whatever come off of the the magical cloak of this individual. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's been said by insiders within the White House that he's not the type to actually read the briefs that he's given. He doesn't want to actually, like, you know, attend a lot of the meetings that have to deal with intelligence uh, because they're meetings that deal with intelligence. That was a joke. Uh, so I, I'm not sure whether or not is is really so much his advisors or so much as is just I feel like he is utterly convinced that he can just go out there and spend shit and eventually something will stick and that's what he'll go with because at the end of the day, he's a huckster and a con artist. So he just goes out there, he tries to get a feel for the room and that's why sometimes he sticks on, on some things and other times he bails out on other things. Uh, he'll admit, you know, after he gets elected that he thought Drain the Swamp was corny. He's just like, yo, people liked it. So he just went with it and, you know, he was entertained by people being entertained. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think he probably has a lot of people that are there to, to say whatever he wants them to say. But I still think he probably has people in the room that care, and try to put some type of, you know, thing to it, some type of truth to it, or some type of balance to it. And it. I don't think it really matters at the end of the day. He's gonna do what he wants to do, which is kind of you know not too dissimilar from you know you know George Bush, George W. Bush in the sense that. There were times they they clearly knew the intelligence led a different way. Like Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11, but they tried to find any little thing to lead down that path because that's where they ultimately wanted to go. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like nothing, once he gets out in front of that that audience, like he's going to do what he wants to do. I mean, there is something to be said for the concept of cognitive dissonance. It does exist. Um, and there's also something to be said for just like emotional and mental investment. Like once people uh, stand behind a point or a person or a organization, you know, people just they don't want to be wrong. So instead of saying, you know what, I believe this one thing and now I have new information and now I could believe something else or I felt this one thing turns out that thing's not true or accurate. I think people will just take any information that they get and they'll hear what they want to hear and use what they want to use and spin it however they need to, to make whatever their original belief was more true. I think that is the story of, of narrative. Yeah. You know, and I think Trump and, and his crew, they're, they're really, really good at, um, at, at, at sticking to the narrative points that energize their base. Yeah. I think there's a question about how big their base is because the fact of the matter is um, we like to say that the most extreme, you know, parts of the conservative movement are supporting Trump. But when we see these elections, we see that there, there are actually a lot of people voting for this cat. It's not a small number of people voting for this cat. You know, they're only winning because of gerrymandering and redistricting and things like that. But not still, only, but, but, but there's largely, enough. Of, yeah. There's enough of them. Win- there's enough of them voting to see that even if the districts were drawn properly, they would they would still receive a lot of votes even if they didn't win. Yeah. So that should just tell you that there's a significant 
a segment of the country that is susceptible to that narrative or the other thing, which is they maybe they're not susceptible to the narrative. Maybe they are aware that he is what you call a huckster, um, that he lies and he spins the truth and changes narratives to, you know, to fit his agenda. But enough of what he is saying is aligned with what they want to do. And they feel like their priorities are more important than all the negatives that come along with him. And uh, where, so- where I am at this point is humanity is a priority for me. People are a priority for me. I am no longer standing uh, on the side of this thing that I want is more important than the humanity of other people. So I'm doing everything I can to stand with people who are victims of having a construct or an abstract or a uh, or a belief or an idea uh, that is made more important than their humanity. And we know who those communities are. Those communities are women. Those communities are people of color. Those those communities are uh, LGBTQ I plus I plus yeah. um, we know that all these communities, I, yeah. yeah, they have their, their humanity is made less than what someone else feels or believes. And I'm just standing, I'm standing on the side of humanity as much as I can. That's where, that's where I'm going with it in 2019. And I'm trying to be more intentional about that in 2019. Okay. So um, in response to a couple of things, uh, one, to 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 I guess go towards my point of what I was saying earlier. Not I'm not countering anything, but I'm just to add to my point of what I was saying earlier. Um, Donald Trump recently made a statement that he, he he's he feels well he believes and knows that every president that preceded him should have done something about the border wall. I mean about the border and should have built a wall. He said, and they all know it. I've had conversations where they agree with me that they should have built a wall. <laughs> to which point, all the living presidents of the United States, either directly or through some spokesperson, uh, have countered that 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 thing very quickly. Yep. Jimmy Carter said, I have had no conversation with him whatsoever about that, and he's wrong. I don't agree with him. Uh, Bill Clinton's like, I haven't spoken to him since the inauguration, and mm-hmm. why would he? Because you're going at my wife. Right. Uh, George W. Bush is like, yeah, nah. <laughs> that, that we've never had that. We've never had that conversation through a spokesperson, and Barack Obama's uh, uh, spokesperson just directed him to a comment that he made in 2016 about building walls does not actually add more security and it does nothing. So that's one thing about the whole. The only reason why they're winning is because of gerrymandering redistricting. I believe that's a huge part of why they're winning. I believe that's the only reason, and I don't think you do either. I'm just—I just want to be clear, just so because we like to be concise in what we say. And every now and then, I have a concise thought, and I like to share it because uh, most times I'm—I'm I'm just scatterbrained, unlike you. Uh, see what I did? I was just yeah. So, adding to that, <clears throat> excuse me, adding to that, I would like to say there there are a few other things. One, I think that the level of investment of demographics from the younger generation who maybe felt disenfranchised from the whole. Bernie or bust thing and didn't go their way, or the people who maybe went for Hillary and didn't get their way, and people who feel like Barack Obama ain't running this time around because he can only get eight years, so why should I vote? Because I don't care, and voting doesn't work. There are a lot of people who sat at home uh, when Trump got elected in the office. There are a lot of people 
who thought like, oh, well, you know, I forget which, uh, I want to say it was uh, Tim Robbins' wife. Uh, what's her name? Susan Sarandon. Yeah. I want to say it was her who said like, oh, maybe, maybe we, maybe we should, maybe we get the, we deserve this or whatever. And maybe this is a good thing because yeah. we need to recognize the blah, blah, blah. So a lot of people a, drawing false equivalents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there were some people who like, you know, uh, quite honestly, are one issue voters. They they believe that this one issue trumps all things and that one issue could be something like abortion. That one issue could be something like border security. That one issue could be something like jobs. And at the end of the day, there are so many issues that if you can only juggle, juggle one political issue in your life, then you don't need to be in the, in the fucking conversation to get more uh, educated. You don't because you're, what you're doing is you're, you're damaging the fabric of what people's lives are outside of your little bubble. That's my whole thing on that. So going back to the, uh, the other thing, um, the disenfranchised that you were speaking to, um, I, too, am on the side of people. I don't think anybody doubts that. I mean, that's what we're trying to do at Flash Black. But I feel like if you speak to the needs of the most uh, targeted and disenfranchised, if you speak to their needs... I believe that a byproduct would be that this country would, would get dramatically better. If you spoke to the needs of black women in this country who have shown up <laughs> for this country for decades in terms of like, you know, on the front line, often don't get credit or whatever because, like, you know, you have like the leaders who are charismatic, who stand in the front or whatever, who sometimes get shot down or whatever. But if you spoke to the needs of black women who actually are the, 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 the backbone of our households, right? Well, I we consider ourselves often in, in our in our culture the heads of our household, but the backbone for us has been the black woman, and I don't think anybody could really like deny that. You know what I'm saying? In my opinion, I think we could have a debate about it. But if you just spoke to their needs in terms of things that they need, you know, put actual legislation in that that gave equal access to opportunity for education for jobs, for transportation, uh, infrastructure, the type of things that people need to actually, you know, meet their needs so they can live the life. Because at the end of the day, um, the needs of those who already have, have are, are already being met. Um, the, the, the wants of those who want to keep the power away, like, I want to feel this way. I don't want people to have this. Those are, again, wants. At the end of the day, basic needs are food, shelter, water. Clothing, you know, those 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 are the you know basic needs that we have. So we start addressing the actual needs of the people who are without. Um, this country will automatically get better. And if we're doing that or whatever, and we find a way to do it, like if we get foreign aid or whatever, seventy five percent of that money comes back. I just relearned that from listening to the Joe Madison show. So we give out fifty four billion of foreign aid, seventy five percent, seventy five cents on the dollar roughly comes back because that money has to actually be bought from American businesses. So they buy like tractors for their their foreign aid to till their fields. Those are American tractors that are going over there. That's business for us. We could do the same thing for anything that we do here. So it sounds a little bit all over the place, but again, it's not. I think at the end of the day, if we're speaking to actual people's needs or whatever, uh, we start addressing things socially in terms of like you know like breaking down this 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 want to have more, this want to build prisons. We don't need to build more prisons. What we need to do is we need to build actual 
um, school systems and 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 uh, social structures that actually benefit the people who are living inside the communities. We we need to have police that actually are a part of our community and not just like police in the community and then they go home to some other community that does not know or understand or care for us. So I think when we start addressing the needs of the people, I think the other things will get better just as a result. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Um, I think, I do think narrative is important though. So I I, I don't, we we clearly, yeah. yeah. So I I don't, I definitely don't want to, um, for me, I feel like the needs of the people are the needs of the people, period. So I do feel like, um, you know, women of color are, uh, you know, significantly disenfranchised, significantly underrepresented, uh, and do have a lot of social issues, financial, socioeconomic issues that need to be addressed. Um, I think when it comes to narrative, though, I think inclusion is just important. And I, I don't I don't like to take the stance of uh, I'm going to be inclusive by being exclusive. So for me as an individual, Can you elaborate on that. Why? Why did you say it like that? Well, because I don't I don't want to focus on only the needs of uh, women of color. I don't want to do just. I was the, suggesting just that. I'm just saying. No. Well, I'm saying the narrative is important. Mm-hmm. I think it could be taken from that as, yeah, we know all of these communities need representation, but if we just focus on the needs of uh, women of color, I, then all the other it could be an, taken that way. That is an element I feel as though if you focus on the needs of women of color, for example, like like programs, obviously, because here's the thing. We like to talk about affirmative action, and some people like to bitch and moan about affirmative action, but at the end of the day, statistically and historically, white women have benefited more from affirmative action than anybody else, any other demographic in this country. That is something you could look up. That's fact. So at the end of the day, like even though something might be built for one demographic, doesn't mean that other demographics can, can't like benefit from it as well. But I'm I, I'm not suggesting that only this this like only this group gets special treatment. But I'm saying like when you disenfranchise somebody and you do it at a malicious level, you basically take resources out of the community. You put them in a few food desert. There's white flight. So now you know there's you know and is that there are all these different elements that go into this structure uh, of of systemic racism and oppression. And you put you put all these things on these people, and then you do it for generations. You have to start like putting stuff in place to counteract that. That's all I'm saying. And I think who has felt the brunt of it the most has been black women. And I don't disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm yeah, I, I, know, I'm, I know you're not disagreeing. I'm with saying that. narrative is yeah. very important. I don't disagree with that. I'm and just, I'm, if you I'm, say focus on, there are people who will take that as, but what a. When you say, what about education? Education doesn't only impact You're right. women of color. You're when absolutely you, right. You know what I'm saying? When you say, what about uh, you know, other socioeconomic rights? Mm-hmm. You know, like when you start talking about that stuff, you know, there's a, there's a lot okay. of- Okay, uh, allow, me, allow me to try to, to clarify this a bit more. I know you understand what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I understand what yeah, you're yeah, saying. Yeah, That's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That's, it, it, this, is, this is strictly conversation. a language thing. Yeah, yeah. It's strictly a language. And, and, and this is why I keep the, the company I do. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I experience this often. Um, let's, let's, let's shift. Let's talk about recidivism. Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk about uh, prison policies. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how- 
you could take one community, black, one community, white. Mm-hmm. You can have police um, monitor like a community that might be have the same level of poverty, same level, same level unemployment, same mm-hmm. level, uh, same level of crime. Right, one's white again, one's black. Mm-hmm. However, um, for a drug crime, the black man in the in that community is four times more likely to be stopped, then arrested, and then charged for the same crime that the white dude is committing in the other community. These right. are again facts. These are statistics right. that the government has already collected time and time again. Right. And then actually going to trial and actually being convicted. Mm-hmm. And actually, once you're in the system, the way the system is designed, once you're in, it's hard to get out. Right. Because at the end of the day, they want you to check a box and say that you've been a criminal, even though you served your time for a petty marijuana charge that maybe took five years of your life. Yeah. Right? And like, you know, and so like at the end of the day, you now you're going towards a point where corporate interest is clearly steering uh, the economy. You got John Boehner who was talking big shit about marijuana when he was a, a senator, mm-hmm. but now he's he's actually in like you know weed money now. He's actually in like on on board with this shit, right? Because it's money, yo. So at the end of the day, if you're gonna start doing all these things and moving moving the needle in the opposite direction, which it should have been in the first place, mm-hmm. like you know, like at the end of the day, weed ain't killing people like cigarettes do. We know that statistically, we know like the the, the numbers. And y'all hit it, y'all 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 let big tobacco money get in. And like, nah, just turn your head the other ways. Surgeon General still like a, a funny ass one and may cause deformities and like disease. Like, like we know it does. It doesn't. It's not guaranteed, but like it does. Right, right, the right. word may is specious, if right. you will. <laughs> right. So, at the end of the day, if we addressed our attitudes towards recidivism and how we build these policies, like the school to prison to pipeline, where this kid gets suspended in elementary school, now he's marked. And this starts him down a path towards prison. This is something that, again, statistically has been reviewed. We mm-hmm. know what this does mm-hmm. and how it affects disproportionately people of color. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we addressed how we did prison, like how about we actually put people in a position to actually be better when they come out of prison? Those who can be reformed. There's some people, man, that like I've seen enough documentaries. There's some people, unfortunately, that need to be in jail. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. Other people might feel differently, but I've seen there's some people there's some people who are in jail right now who need serious mental help, mm-hmm. right? And there's some people that've been in jail because they like their options were limited, and maybe they knew their options were limited, but they took a roll of the dice because it was better than starving. Uh, like you know, at the end of the day, like you know, you're gonna throw somebody into jail uh, for like you know coming up, you know, you know selling weed or whatever, you know. But at the same time, you're gonna throw the Kennedys out there like they disgrace America. It's a sad story. They were bootleggers at a time when alcohol was illegal. So like you know, let's 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 not look at this thing in balance. So all I'm saying is, if we just change the way we address how the the, the justice system treats people in terms of how they charge people, you know, like you know, if if my only charge. For uh, for being arrested is resisting arrest. What is the fucking charge? What is the charge that got me to be arrested? That's like the cat on. Uh, there was a video floating around on social media where a cat uh, came back to. He was coming back to his hotel room. Instead I just want to. I don't want. I don't want white people to be confused. He's not actually talking about an actual feline. He's yeah, no, it's not. Person. They weren't purring like it was that. It was, it was, a, it was a human this, being. This is a black just, male. This, is, this is uh, old school lingo. A cat. First, a yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. He was it. He was coming back to his hotel. Inclusive. 
and he wanted to he wanted to talk to I think he wanted to talk to his mother if I remember correctly um and he stopped in the lobby of the hotel and man I wish I remembered the name of the chain so I could say it right now mm-hmm. um, but I do not remember the name of the hotel chain but he stopped in the lobby and one of the hotel personnel security guy and the hotel personnel started questioning him mm-hmm. about being in the lobby mm-hmm. right saying that he didn't believe he was a guest in the hotel mm-hmm. so they called the cops on him and the police came mm-hmm. and turns out he was a guest in the hotel but they still escorted him to his room to get his things so that he can be escorted off the hotel property. Now, the whole reason the cops were called in the first place was because they didn't believe he was actually a guest in the hotel. Mm-hmm. But they still escorted him away, <laughs> even though he. it turns out he was. They escorted him to a room mm-hmm. that was his room that he had a working key to. So... That's not dissimilar they, from the Starbucks they, thing. They said they they said they fired the uh, the hotel guests, the hotel um, excuse me employees mm-hmm. that called the cops. Mm-hmm. But what about the cops who still escorted him off the premises? What about the cops that instead of saying, "Hey, uh, you guys called us because you said he wasn't a guest. He's a guest, so we are not going to escort him off the property because we responded to your call. We've investigated the situation. Turns out." He's actually a guest. There's no basis for the original call that you made. So we're now going to leave. Have a good day. Now, obviously, if I was in that situation, maybe I would leave the hotel anyway because I wouldn't want to patronize them. You know, I would feel that dollars too, or like, anything would, like yeah. that. But still, like the buck doesn't stop at just the employees of the hotel. There's a whole system in place that caused this guy to be out of a room late at night. I I believe it was like some insane hour of the morning where it could have potentially been very, very difficult for him to find another accommodation for the evening. And like we, everybody was like, good, they fired the employees. There wasn't any discussion about the cops that still, it's just like you said, the cyclical argument, you arrest somebody for a charge that only existed because you harassed them in the first place. There was no charge to begin with. You created the car, the charge by engaging somebody that you shouldn't have engaged in the first place. That is not that's why I think the narrative Starbucks is thing. important. Yeah, yeah, that's not dissimilar from the Starbucks thing where the two brothers were waiting for their white friend in Starbucks in Philly and like the, the the Starbucks employees, like yo, you got to leave, blah blah blah. I'm like yo, we're not bothering anybody. We're waiting, blah blah blah. And then people are like coming to their fence, like yo, they're not bothering anybody. And then their friend gets there, like yo, they're not bothering anybody, but they still. <laughs> and then the day, I think sometimes um, I'm not making excuses for police because that's not my job and that's not what I mean. I feel like I was called to do, but I, I will say I do believe that. There's not enough training in the world for all the bullshit that people try to use police for. Because police ultimately are ultimately when they when they're called, it is their duty to respond, whether or not it's bullshit or not. And a lot of times they don't have all the information. I understand that part. Right. But at the end of the day, judgment calls have to be made. And there's certain shit that you're just not trained for, I'm sure, in the academy. Like, yo, like so somebody point in case. Um, there was a story last year because there were so many things last year that we found as black people that we just couldn't do. Apparently, we couldn't like barbecue in a public park. Oh no, uh, they going to call. Yeah, we can't. A little nine year girl can't sell water. You know, no, uh, no. no, on a hot day. They uh, going to call. Yeah, yeah. You, you, uh, shit. What else? You can't nap in your own dorm lobby. Um, you know, during finals, although you're resident there. Oh no, they they going to call. Yeah, yeah. So, 
um, you take all these things into account, and it's just like, what do you, I, <laughs> yo, it's it's a it's a we we've talked about this a lot on Flash Black uh, and uh, Culture Shock on. Um, oh, shit, sorry, you, shit I, you might have missed. I'm sorry, but very quickly, I was because I forgot that I, I didn't want to forget the example. Mm-hmm. Um, the example is um, there was a guy who was playing pickup ball at a rec center mm-hmm. with people. He got fouled by his his account was mm-hmm. he got fouled harder than he wanted. He felt it was excessive, mm-hmm. so he called the police in a pickup game of basketball. Yo, brought it down to the, the police. Come to the gym. And it's like, yeah, they're like, what do you want me to do? And it's like, yeah, like, I, I, I don't even, do you want to stop playing? He's like, no, do you, like, it's like, like, what, your reaction is to, to call, like, and this is what I'm talking about. So I feel like some people get to a point where, like, you know, like, depending upon the officer, we don't know what their background is. We're like, oh, if this was me, then I'd want somebody to call the cops for this shit, too. And maybe that's how it gets escalated. Right. I don't know. Right. That's the part I don't know. I mean, it's, it's all socialization. Mm-hmm. Like, the training of police officers, that's professional socialization, mm-hmm. right? How, how many scenarios do you prepare them for? And what do you socially tell them is appropriate and inappropriate? How much of the doctrinization of police officers is you're about- you're not training for that. If, right. Right, is about like the humanity of the people that you're dealing with. But that's not where it stops. Where it also begins is what are we socializing children in schools? What are we socializing to the parents that teach kids, uh, kids about making people's humanity a priority? Humanity is just not a priority. People's individual comfort, people's individual beliefs, uh, you know, people inconveniences the people. That's what's the priority. We are not intentional about making people's humanity top priority. And that's why in a situation like a pickup game or a situation where somebody's chilling in their dorm or any somebody's trying to just sit in a hotel lobby and have a conversation with their mother, It gets escalated to the point of somebody calling the cops because that person's humanity is not as important as somebody's discomfort or their belief or their implicit bias or something else. So implicit bias, that's something that you got to work on. But that problem is ultimately solved by socialization, like treating everybody like a human being, regardless of how they look. That's socialization. And. The narrative is very, very important. People have to actively say people's humanity is more important than all these other things. You start with humanity, period. You start with humanity. And otherwise, you're just going to have incomplete narratives all the time. We were talking about, we started off talking about the shutdown, right? Well, we started talking about R. Kelly. Well, we still we, we, the very, <laughs> the very, very beginning. We started talking about R. Kelly, but then uh, we kind of dovetailed yeah, into the into the shutdown, right? right? So everybody knows that you know there's about you know there's there's a little bit more than three quarters of a million federal employees, eight hundred thousand right. federal employees. So you know these any federal employee who is either not working or working and not getting paid is being directly impacted by the shutdown financially because they may get retroactive pay, but even if they do, they have bills that are due now. And the people who are collecting their bills, they're not like, oh, we understand there's a government shutdown. They like run that, run your pockets. All right. So they're being impacted. But then the narrative is so incomplete. 
we don't talk about the contractors. There are a lot of government contractors who are not working right now. And their work, they work for private organizations that contract for the government. They're not going to get any retroactive pay from the government. That's not going to happen. Then you talk about all the small businesses around the nation, all the tertiary and ancillary small businesses that are personal small businesses, you know, maybe one or two people, maybe 10, 20 people. But those businesses are run and they're run in conjunction with the functioning of government. You have event planners that have events in museums. You have, you know, all sorts of businesses. You have all of the uh, the restaurants and, uh, you know, people people that they open up uh, their their establishments and the overwhelming majority of their business revenue is made from government employees that work in that area. None of those people are going to get retroactive pay when the shutdown is over. So these are just lost dollars, lost revenue, lost that. income that people aren't going to aren't going to get. And so the narrative is just incomplete. Let me just add on to that just to add on to that and you, you did include them but I just like to like you know like make it so as Joe Madison would say put it where the ghosts can get it so you're talking about people who like have businesses around the uh, they're like there might be people who work directly at museums for example right who are who are employees but they're not federal employees right so while the museum is shut down they're not getting paid right there are people who work outside of the museum who mm -hmm. are called vendors exactly who who park their trucks out there and depend on tourist dollars to mm -hmm. actually help them feed their families they're not getting paid the tour will, guides the tour guides they're not getting paid um, the people who clean up the parks, the people that you know, you, you just kind of look past and gloss over, whatever, they're not getting paid. Hell, there are people in TSA that actually provide security, security. which you're actually complaining about right now security. in this country. We're worried about security. And how do a lot of these motherfuckers get over here? Through the airports, yo. <laughs> the airports, it has been proven, like, yo, the terrorists that have been caught. Or like flagged or like, you know, subsequently or like retroactively discovered to have entered the United States, by and large has been through our airports. Mm -hmm. I mean, like six people that have come over the Mexican border. I'm just saying. So the end of the day, like, you know, you got TSA employees right now who are, who are doing sick outs. So they're, they're, they're not getting paid. So they're calling in sick. Mm -hmm. uh, it. There has to be, again, like an understanding. So I and I think that those numbers are not. Unintentional because when you add contract force, when you add onto the government, it's it's well over a million. Yeah, but you're talking about millions. It's easier to say eight hundred thousand federal employees and completely just disregard all the other people that are because you know at the end of the day. And look, and I'm gonna tell you like I'm gonna tell you a couple funny stories. So I was actually in a meeting one time where there was like a basically because when meetings happen in the federal government. Sometimes you have a, a town hall where federal employees are invited. Sometimes you have a town hall where contractors are invited. Sometimes you have a mixed town hall. Uh, it really depends on who, whoever is calling the town hall and organizing it wants to address. So this was a mixed town hall. And in this mixed town hall, it was talking about a potential government shutdown. And, you know, somebody's saying, okay, this is what's going to potentially happen. Uh, there's a, such thing as essential employees and non-essential employees. If you're non-essential, guess what? You probably ain't going to get work. That's just how it works. No pun intended. So there was a, a federal employee, I'm just going to assume based upon his ass nine like statement, who stood up in the middle of this 
mixed town hall, which was both federal and contractor, and says, why can't you just fire all the contractors? Wow. You said this. Like, well, not not joking. Which was, doesn't was, have anything to do with uh, funding the government. Yeah, or maybe he <laughs> didn't say fire. He said, why can't you just cut all the, cut all the, the contractors? But the idea, like, yo, and, and I think that's what it comes down to, going back to the whole humanity thing. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, what frustrates me is when you say federal workers, you're completely shitting on all the people who serve the government who are not federal workers. Who who works just as hard. Now look, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I've seen contractors who don't do shit, who just loaf around. I've seen federal workers who don't really do shit, just loaf around and just skate by. But I've also seen hardworking federal employees, and I've seen hardworking contractors. At the end of the day, everybody's in the same boat. People got rent and or mortgage that they need to pay. And, and they got light bills. And the more people who don't get compensated, that's more revenue that people aren't making to spend back into the economy. No matter how you slice it and all these small businesses not generating revenue, that's more money that these people are not going to be able to spend back into the economy. So overall, it's negative for the economy. And we ain't, we haven't even started talking about productivity. The productivity is just gone. It's uh, just lost. And let's let's also, while we're talking about that, my good friend, uh, let's also just talk about like how you're like unnecessarily putting people to, in a position to be in debt. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if you do not have the money, the means to pay, you're gonna start what you swiping. owe. Yep. You're gonna start putting things on your credit card. Swiper, no swiping. And let let let's 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 put this out. So years ago, when when I was in uh, mortgages and insurance, which you know I what well, I did that. Um, um, the average American saved negative half a percent of their 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 gross income, which means like for every dollar I earned, I I actually saved less than what I earned. I spent more than what I earned. That was the average American. The average American does not have one thousand dollars in in case of an actual emergency. So if something happens, the car breaks down, um, uh, um, a furnace blows up or some shit. They don't have the money or the means to actually you know fix that issue. And what happens is they wind up like swiping it or taking out a loan and going in debt. So you're putting people in positions that they don't need to actually be in. And for what? So you can stand on your like your 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 little fake high horse or whatever and like, you know, act like you're you're doing something something for the greater good when you're not. In my estimation, and I I'll get back to you, this is just something I was thinking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe that the border wall is a monument to white supremacy. Mm. At the end of the day, it's a way to say that we're better than you, we look down on you, and you're not welcome here. It's not functionally going to do anything. It's a wall. At the end of the day, if you build a wall, all it is at the end of the day is a wall. Somebody would still have to man that wall. Yep. Somebody's going to have to be there on that wall to make sure nobody jumps over. It just doesn't work by itself and do nothing. Somebody still has to man that wall. So if somebody has to be there present at the wall, some bodies, plural, have to be there to man the wall, they just put people at the, at the border. Yep. If that's the case. Just put people there. At the end of the day, that wall is going to need to be maintained. That wall is going to break down. And at the end of the day, you can't build the wall everywhere. You know how much shit goes into this? Eminent domain comes into that shit. Mm-hmm. People's land going to get snatched. Over this wall that you want to build, I, and let, let's not forget, like uh, there, there have been multiple instances where we've seen like um, Bama's know how to build tunnels. Uh, I, the, I like, never Bama's, seen a Bama's, wall Bama's, stop a tunnel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bama's like had like drug tunnels going into this country that were paved, yo, with lighting <laughs> that you could drive trucks through. 
So this whole idea of like, you know, <laughs> you know, like building a wall, like it's a wall, yo. Like at the end of the day, like it, it, it's so silly that you think that, you know, people come here on boats, yo. What are we, what are we really talking about? But see, I, I think this all goes back to the original point, which is when you, when you don't put humanity first, when you're trying to solve a problem, right, we have rules. We have rules under which people who are not citizens or uh, permanent residents of this country can come and petition this country for permanent residency and citizenship. We have that, right? And if it exists, then we, if we want to make sure that we have that done in a way that we can control and properly manage and people seem to have so much, whatever it is, desperation, or maybe some people are doing it nefariously. If you want to believe, you know, Trump, that, you know, everybody's that everybody's a rapist and a drug dealer and all of that stuff. If you want to believe all of that, then the question is, why? What is causing humans to feel like the only solution for them is to leave where they are and get here by any means necessary. Now, I'm talking about the overwhelming majority of people who are just trying to get here for safety, for opportunity, to create chances for their family, like to escape violence. That's the overwhelming majority of people. But even people who may potentially be criminals that are coming here, all of them, why? What is creating, what is, what is the social situation, what is the social construct that is creating the desire and or perceived need to come to this country? That is what you address if you're putting humanity above everything else because that's the way you actually solve the issue. You don't solve it by building a wall that ain't actually going to work. You know, you don't solve it by making uh, more stricter, more strict uh, immigration rules that may or may not work if you're not even really uh, able to enforce the ones you have because maybe you don't have enough personnel. Maybe you don't have enough sensors and, you know, the thermal imaging uh, hardware and, and all that other stuff. Maybe you just don't have enough of that stuff. Maybe the real solution is humans like need help. Humans are hurting. And there may be a way to understand and try to attack the actual problems than trying to put like political band-aids so that you can get reelected, so that you can keep people divided, so that you can keep people hating each other and fighting and blaming other people for uh, for their problems. So I, that's why I continue to stay where I started. For me, it's going to be humanity first. And you're talking about addressing needs. Exactly. Right. So we're we're speaking the same language, we're just using different words. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I just and I, I just want to like reiterate again, we're talking about like Trump wants a border wall. We don't need one. At the end of the day, like we can we can focus since the Bill Clinton presidency, uh, uh, illegal immigration has dramatically declined with each president. Right. It, it was uh, at record numbers when Barack Obama was actually in office, believe it or not. Uh, you know, that, that crazy, you know, like, you know, Muslim guy from Hawaii, or was it Kenya? I don't know. One of those two. Who knows? Uh, we, we, oh, we did see the birth certificate. Mm -hmm. My bad. Yeah, long form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
because that's what they did. It was it was long for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know, Trump, you know, I didn't I didn't start the birther movement, but I finished it, folks. <laughs> I finished it. So, I, I just, I I think if we stop being so uh, caught up in single issues and like petty wants and really start looking at what the needs are. At the end of the day, we all need the same thing. And, and and that's what kind of frustrates me when people try to the paint like, you know, now it's like this the opioid crisis. Right. You know what I mean? Like this shit was been here for 3 3 decades and now all of a sudden it's an opioid crisis. When the shit was affecting black people, well, you were deliberately like targeting that shit towards black communities so you can call it a war on crime and then a war on drugs, whatever. It didn't bother you. It was just because it, it fed your narrative, but now that it's coming back to you, now it's a, it's a crisis. And again, if you're speaking to needs, if you're addressing the needs, like what do people need to be well? At the end of the day, people want to be actually safe Right, so we can speak about security, but let's speak about it intelligently. Let's speak about it with actual data and statistics and facts. Let's speak about it with, like, you know, some sensitivity to the idea that you've been touting for the last two hundred plus years that we the best shit smoking. Why would people not want to come here? But at the end of the day, people want to be able to provide for those they love and themselves. Point blank, period. You name me somebody who does not want to provide for themselves. Do you know anybody like that? Who doesn't want to eat? Who doesn't want to actually put clothes on their back? Who doesn't want to actually like have an like you know good money to to earn and put in their pocket? You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, like this 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 idea and these narratives, if you actually just start to like look at them like with intelligence, like they they don't hold up. So what we need to do is we need to start looking at what people's needs are. Like people need fair access to healthcare. They need fair access to education. They need fair access to jobs. They need fair access to be able to get to those jobs once they get the jobs. Um, they need fair access to job training. Uh, it, it, it's just like fairness is what is needed and, and what is required and what is owed, quite honestly, because it's it's what you've been selling and what people expect. I mean, we we also agree, you've stated it, but the use of empirical data um, would be, it would be helpful if everybody would use empirical data. The problem is, even when there's empirical data, there is implicit bias and bias in general. Um, there are existing narratives. Somehow, oh, we yeah. got to find a way yeah. to socialize people so that when they have numbers... They don't try to twist the numbers or selectively use numbers uh, in a way that is beneficial to uh, their original point or to their cause. Um, Because if you listen to people like Mitch McConnell speak, I go back to him because uh, frequently because I tell you, I I listen. I listen to Mitch McConnell when his book came out. And I think it, it may have been in 2018 or it may have been in 2017 when his book came out. I can't remember. But he was on NPR doing interviews, and I listened to this guy speak, and I was like, Mitch McConnell is intelligent. He is not dumb. Mitch McConnell understands empirical data. Mitch McConnell understands narrative, but 
he has a certain set of existing beliefs, existing views, views that have been solidified and confirmed over time. And when he gets information, he uses his intellect to selectively choose information that supports his genuine beliefs. The beliefs aren't, he's not disingenuous. He really believes these things. He's just hearing what he wants to hear, selecting the empirical data that's most helpful to his cause and using it. Heard that mofo say today. Um, It may have been today, it may have been yesterday. Talking about funding for the border wall. He said President Trump wants $5.7 billion uh, for border security. He threw in some points about uh, aid and health care for people who are detained at the border uh, just to try to make the narrative sound more humane. And he also said that to put some perspective on it, that is uh, one tenth of one percent of the overall American budget. Now, that's empirically accurate. Uh, it's misleading because what you're trying to do is create the narrative is that's that's such a small amount of money. Why don't we just give the president what he wants? And by the way, he's really doing it so that he can help try to protect people who are at the border who need health care and all of this. We know that's not the narrative. We know that that's not the narrative, but that's the narrative that he's using his intellect to pick and choose numbers to try to create a picture of. So somehow We got to combine it with there is science, there is existing empirical data and more data accumulating by the second because we live in a digital age. Then there is other science, behavioral science, brain science, social, you know, social science. All we need to combine all of this stuff to figure out a strategy on how we start teaching people that humanity or as you're saying, People's needs are paramount. They're first, they're top priority. And if we can figure out how to do that, I honestly believe that women of color, men of color, LGBT community, children, uh, you know, uh, people in rural areas, poor people in rural areas. I think, you know, the prison population, if we do that, we will legitimately figure out solutions to a lot of these problems because I don't think the solutions are actually that complicated. I really think it's just a will thing. I think it's a people want to do it, but you're never going to get people to want to do anything as long as they're socialized to be divided and to hate one another, to blame other people for their circumstance, to blame the wrong people when other people who are actually in control trying to perpetuate the existing circumstance so they continue to benefit from it. As long as that exists, it's going to be difficult to get people to do simple things. You can't, we can't even get people to, 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 you know, boycott a sports league. We can't even get people to not, you know, eat Chick-fil-A. We can't like, is there's simple things that people won't do because an individual's comfort is more important than the humanity of other people. So until we can do that, it's just going to be us talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we can, we can do things on this end. Um, so we're going to wrap up, man. Uh, that's, that, that was very good salient points, man. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you uh, uh, sitting down. Um, we'll continue to talk on this end. 
Um, I want to leave you with something that Joe Madison uh, says often on his show on Sirius XM 126 in the mornings. He quotes Dr. Martin Luther King, who says, who had said rather, the two most dangerous things in the, on the planet are conscientious stupidity and sincere ignorance. Uh, you know, if you're, in, you know, he goes on to elaborate saying like if you sincerely don't know that can be something that can be resolved but when you actually do know or are told and refuse to act upon what you have been told uh, that is given as fact and that's where the sincere uh, the conscious stupidity comes in and you know both are dangerous so yeah that's the thing so we want to thank you for your time your energy uh please continue to share us please continue to tell us about your friends follow us on social media we still up there um on twitter at flash black radio at flash black news uh we are on uh of course instagram flash black radio you can check us out on www.flashblackradio.com um there will be more written content coming up this year uh i i yeah i'll focus on that as well and uh yeah we're we're, we're still on facebook for the time being uh we'll see how that goes um so until next time, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Lee Bennett III, a.k.a. Da Vinci Parks. This is S-Double signing off. Indeed. And we shall catch you next time. Stay blessed. Stay woke. Yeah. I feel like we didn't tell enough jokes this time. That's cool, bro. We, were, we weren't very funny. I feel like I wasn't at my usual amu- level of amusement. I mean, it'll be all right. You know what I mean? Something, something like, you know, like... <laughs>